0: Welcome to Behind the Schemes, a conversation about protecting our planet's precious wildlife from commerce, corruption, and counterfeit cures. This is Risha kota Larson with Behind the Schemes, and in this episode, we're exposing the illegal rhino horn trade with investigative journalist Julian Rodemeyer, author of the new book, Killing for profit. First of all, when and where will killing for profit be available?
1: Um, it's available in South Africa, countrywide, from about the seventh of November. Um, US uh, deliveries, unfortunately, there's a delay, mainly because it's it's um, being being sent to the US by sea. Um, Probably books will be available on Amazon towards the end of February or around about 15th of March. I see the current sort of pre-order date is about the 15th of March. But e-books will be available um, via Amazon and also locally in South Africa from the uh, around about the 10th of November.
0: Excellent. And do you recall that moment? When you decided that you would be the one to tell this story—the story of what's going on with the rhinos in South Africa—I'm
1: not sure there really was a, a specific moment. I kind of, you know, I kind of fell into the st- into the story in a way. Um, you know, I'm f- uh, for years now. I've been uh, working and sort of in mainly doing investigations in the last couple of years for um, one of the bigger media houses here. Um, I resigned that job at the beginning of this year to write the book, but um, much of my focus was on corruption, um, politicians, organized crime, um, that sort of thing. Um, And the Rhino story uh, essentially grew out of a piece that I'd I'd worked on about um, a South African poacher who had been smuggling weapons um, across the border. From South Africa into Zimbabwe, um, and giving uh, supplying these weapons to Zimbabwean poachers who were going after rhinos, uh, and that was that was the first story that I did about rhino poaching, um, and it 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 fascinated me. You know, the the characters fascinated me. Um, I, I began to see sort of parallels between that and you know other organized crime stories I'd been doing, um, and I think you know in a way. I've I'm I'm relatively critical of a lot of sort of the the general reporting on, on Rhino Pochik because a lot of it reads like sort of standard crime reports you know there's there's a lot of um, what where when and how but there's very little um, who and why uh, you know the the context of it isn't explained the 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 characters behind it aren't teased out um, and that that intrigued me you know who were these people um and you know the book in many ways is is a is a book about people it's about key figures in the trade um you know who've emerged um and i mean it's it's i i think that was the one side of it the other side of it for me was i was just completely sort of gripped and appalled by the um the extent of of what these syndicates were doing um and how they managed to stay sort of one step of, ahead of the authorities and i mean it's it is, um, you know, the, the the kind of the levels of enterprise that they show, um, you know, some of it is just beyond beyond belief. Um, and I mean, I think in many ways, it's probably the strangest story I've ever covered. <laughs> I I ended up um, discussing it with an editor that I had at the time, and he he saw potential for possibly an ebook, book um, you know, a quick book based on um, some of the articles I'd written and subsequent discussions with who published a number of books beforehand. Um, you know, he, he suggested I chat to his publisher um, and I went to see her and the following, uh, the same day she said to me after reading a sort of pitch that I'd, I'd given her, um, will you write us a book? Um, and I think, you know, most most journalists, that's, you know, the sort of secret dream that we all harbor <laughs> is you know, that we want to write this book but we never really know what the book is. Um, and for years... Wondered what you know, what book I would write. You know, I never really came up with with a subject that I thought you know could work or did you know d- appeal to me in, in a particular way. And you know, this this one I thought, wow, you know, this this is something I could actually do. It's it's something that's been touched on in some books. There've been there've been very few looking at the organised crime side of it. Um, uh, so you know, it was it was along those lines, and I'd also just recently finished um, Brian Christie's book, *The The Lizard King*, um, which looked you know looked at the reptile trade and was a particularly fascinating sort of account of of organised crime.
0: Hmm. So, did you think your first book would be about the illegal rhino horn trade?
1: Uh, if you asked me three years ago and. In- book about the illegal rhino horn trade, I probably would have laughed at you. I mean it just <laughs> it wasn't it just wasn't on my on my radar. You know, I, I was kind of tied up with all kinds of other things. And you know, again, I mean a lot of the stories about poaching and so on had had, you know, I'd seen them in the in the papers, but they weren't um there were only, you know, there were only a handful of of environmental reporters in South Africa who've really taken the story further, um, or and crime reporters and court reporters. Yeah, you know, as I say, the bulk of the coverage is fairly standard, and there's this, you know, this this grey area about who who the people are behind the trade, and that's that's what sort of intrigued me, and it, it developed from that, um, and I've always been fairly fascinated with with organised crime.
0: What was the most disturbing part of the book to write?
1: I think probably um, one of the most disturbing stories in the book for me. Um, I at at one stage managed to get access to a, a high definition video that had been filmed using a GoPro camera, um, and it was it was footage it was filmed um, allegedly of a, a pseudo hunt um, involving uh, a number of, of Thai Thai hunters and involving a, a South African game farmer, Manus Stale, um, and. The, the, the footage that, I mean, I, I watched the footage over and over, um, kind of going through it. And, you know, it showed a group of men moving through the bush. Um, uh, you can see rifle barrels snaking into view. And in the distance, you can make out the shape of this white rhino it's sort of lying under a tree. It appears to be dozing off, um, you know, it's lit from the way people were dressed and the, and the sort of date when, when the footage was filmed. It was a particularly hot day. Um, and then suddenly, this, this sort of crack of a, of a shot, and the the animal sort of tears itself up and lets off lets out this particularly horrific sort of keening cry. It sounds something like a baby crying out or a pig being slaughtered. Um, it's, it's it's all I mean. It's actually indescribable, um, and it's a sound you you don't really forget once you've heard it. Um, and you know the. The video shows these the hunter in particular who clearly can't shoot very well, firing shot after shot at this animal um, until it eventually topples over, um, and it's you know it's running in circles trying to escape, um, and you know it really, I mean it's a very telling video in a way because it's one of it's a it's quite a rare um, piece of evidence in the sense that it it captures what appears to be an illegal pseudo hunt. Um, to give a bit of context, I mean, in, in South Africa, um, the regulations require that if a hunting permit is issued to someone, um, that that person must fire the shot, the first shot at the animal. And if they wound it or are unsuccessful in some way, then the professional hunter accompanying them can shoot shoot the animal then. Um, in this case, the hunting permit was issued to someone called Nimit Wong Prajan, um, who was a Thai national. And you can actually see him in the background. He's not carrying a rifle, and you never see him. Even after the shooting, you don't see him with a rifle. Um, and the person who's wearing the camera, um, the, the game farmer, is the person who fires the first shot. Um, and that, you know, that that for me, I mean, it, I, I think that was probably the most most difficult section to write in a way. Um, you know, you, you kind of, I, I think over the years I've, I've become quite used to um, people's inhumanity to each other. Um, you know, I've covered a fair amount of violence. I've covered conflict, war, used to be a crime reporter. Um, and that, that side of things doesn't really surprise me. But I think uh, you know, right through this book, the, the capacity for cruelty that some people demonstrate um, just, you know, it's, I found it staggering.
0: That was really hard, even just to li- to listen to. <clears throat> wow, um, I think I have an idea of who won't like your book, <laughs> but who do you specifically think is not gonna like the fact that this book has been published?
1: Look, I think I think there might be quite a number of people who are not um, particularly um, happy with it being published. Um, I've tried to be, you know, as honest and and straightforward in the reporting that I've done and the writing that I've done and then telling the stories. Um, you know, I've there are there are a lot of game farmers that I've had dealings with, their are poachers that I interviewed. Um, there's, um, you know, I, I spent quite a bit of time with um, David Grunewald who is, you know, the alleged head of this this um, major rhino horn trafficking syndicate. Um, and, you know, I've tried to, and John Hume and various others, and I've tried to be, you know, accurately reflect um, those those conversations. Um, the book traces, you know, various incidents. I mean, it traces a number of historical incidents. It traces um, the South African Defence Force's involvement in um, rhino poaching and ivory poaching in um, in Angola in the 1980s and 1970s. Um, it looks at um, a number of... of rather bizarre sort of COVID operations involving military types and, and mercenaries, um, which would directly link to the rhino horn trade. Um, there's a chapter that deals with um, the links between a key, um, the former president of the African National Congress Youth League and a an alleged poacher who'd also worked as an investigator for South Africa's revenue service, essentially the the tax authorities. Um, and you know, there's there's a look at the lion bone trade, at people who involved in predator breeding. Um, so I think you know some of those people might be unhappy. But I've you know I've tried, and I must say that most most people were quite happy to talk to me. Um, you know, David um, Chernov was actually in in many ways was refreshingly frank. Um, you know, his I think probably one of the more memorable sort of lines from him is that um, you know any hunter in South Africa or any hunting operator in South African who's, who sold a, a rhino hunt to an American is, is a fool because the the Vietnamese are willing to pay so much more. Um, and in addition to that, he was quite blunt about the fact that, um, you know, everyone who is involved with um, selling hunts or arranging hunts or for the Vietnamese knows that they're not there for the trophies. They're there for the So, you know, that that was quite interesting. Um, And yeah, I mean, I, I think I think there's there's a lot of focus on um, the, uh, the syndicate involving Manas Stale, the state farmer, um, and you know the Thai nationals Chumlong Leptong Thai and Punpitak Chong, among others.
0: Plenty of people to not like the book. <laughs> you mentioned uh, lion bone trade. What can you tell us about the situation at the moment? In South Africa, regarding rhino horn, lion bones, any of the stuff that's going on since you finished your book?
1: Well, I mean, it you know, if you look at the poaching figures at the moment, um, we've passed uh, all previous records. I mean, it's it's quite sad that we even uh, that it's that it's it's it sets a record in a way, um, but it looks as if we may well. You know, go over the five hundred mark this year in terms of the numbers of rhinos poached. Um, the trade in lion bones is continuing. Um, in fact, I understand that um, large quantities of lion bones are still being shipped to Laos, where the one syndicate that I focus in, on in the book is based. Um, and um, you know, the it, it also does appear that um, the the, that, that syndicate's quest for for more Rhino Horn is continuing, um, although they appear to have been struggling um, in the last while, but I've heard um, recorded conversations in which um, the, the head of the syndicate is discussing uh, trying to acquire more Rhino Horn and the prices that he's willing to pay. Um, and so, I mean, it's, it's almost business as usual, um, which is quite, quite pressing. The, the other thing which appears to be developing slowly is with the crackdown on um, pseudo-hunting by Vietnamese nationals. Um, I mean, at the moment, there are no hunting permits being issued to Vietnamese nationals. The South African authorities have asked the, the Vietnamese their Vietnamese counterparts to provide them with evidence that trophies exported from South Africa have been are still in the possession of the hunters who who had um, shot them or who had had hunting permits issued to them and so far they haven't been forthcoming probably fairly unsurprisingly um, there is also you know the the current situation with this memorandum of understanding which the Department of Environmental Affairs in South Africa, uh, seems to re- regard as some sort of potential panacea or some way of of, of um, curbing rhino poaching. Um, essentially, it would be a gentleman's agreement, as it were, between the two countries to cooperate on issues of law enforcement, conservation, and CITES. Um, I think, you know, historically, that's probably fairly naive, given that um, Vietnam has signed more international environmental treaties than most other countries in in Southeast Asia, uh, if not the most, and you know routinely flouts them and ignores them, um, and that this extends to you know um, the environment in in Vietnam itself. Um, you only have to look at sort of places like Halong Bay and look at the, the degrees of pollution that are that, that are going on there, um, completely unregulated, um, or look at the the, the manner in which the wildlife trade in in Vietnam is is not regulated. Um, the other slightly more disturbing development is that many of the Vietnamese syndicates appear to be shifting their base of operations from South Africa to Mozambique. Um, Mozambique is notoriously corrupt. Um, it seems to be a lot easier for them to operate from there. And I mean, the South African police here, particularly the uh, the specialist unit that deals with rhino-poaching investigations has been having quite a lot of success investigating the Vietnamese syndicates. And I think it's putting pressure on them, but but essentially what they're doing is just shifting their base, or it would seem that that, that is the case. Um, so I think the fundamental problem that we, we're sitting with is how do you how do you shut the syndicates down, you know, the the police can do only so much here, Um, and they've, you know, I mean, there have been some very dramatic cases which have gone quite high up the chain, um, both involving the police and the South African Revenue Service, um, who've done some amazing work, but it stops South Africa's borders, and, you know, you've got a syndicate kingpin in the case of the Saisavang Export-Import Company. Um, who is sitting in Laos in Vientiane or near Vientiane, um, and who is completely untouchable, who's politically well-connected, um, who even may have gone on, um, state visits to, to Vietnam with the Laotian prime minister, um, who previously headed up a Laotian state industry, um, and was senior ranking army official. Um. And you know there he is, and I'm now going back a few months, um, a couple of months ago. He's he was caught on um, on a hidden camera discussing how he would go about getting more rhino horn. Um, mm-hmm. and we still have vast ships of of lion bones going out to, um, which in itself, you know, I mean it's it's not strictly illegal. But it's, it's one of those, those trades that's, that's, that illustrates the sort of problem that we're dealing with. Um, you know, it's, And it's, it's primarily lionesses that are being euthanized or killed for, for their bones, um, ones that are post-reproductive age, often, sometimes not. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a fairly brutal trade.
0: Yeah, that's pretty horrifying. And the lionesses, they're euthanizing them specifically to ship the bones out. Right.
1: Yeah, they oh. they were they were more dead than alive.
0: Oh, that's truly horrifying.
1: <sighs> <And laughs> which is, you know, and the 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 line here from the officials is that you know while they are appalled by it, there's very little they can do to stop it. Um, so you know, it's it's. I mean, there's not there's not much um, being done, and you know, you've got. Lions essentially supplying the market that was once supplied by tigers. Um, and now there's the uh, tiger bones are so hard to come by. The syndicates are, are moving in on lions.
0: Uh, well, it's just really disturbing that um, these the lion breeders will often, and in fact almost all the time, talk about how they are contributing to lion conservation. This is how we're saving lions. But yet, they're killing lions and and making money because they're shipping the bones out. It just doesn't make any sense.
1: I think I mean I I, I agree with you, but I, I I think there are some predator breeders who are um, cooperating. But what what is interesting is how the same names keep keep uh, recurring. You know, you've got people who over the years have been implicated in the in the canned line in hunting industry mm-hmm. um, where a lion is doped. Um, and then, you know, shot in, in sort of a, a set-up hunt or, you know, they kept, kept caged and then released to be shot. Um, and those same names, the people who've been implicated in that, in that rather dark sort of trade, um, those are the names that are cropping up again in connection with the lion bone trade.
0: Hmm. Well, on that note, <laughs> um, thanks so much for talking about your book. I'm really excited to, to read it. And uh, I think the world has to know the story for sure.
1: Thank you very much. No, it's been a, it's been a great pleasure talking to you again.
0: Thanks. You've been listening to Exposing the Illegal Rhino Horn Trade with investigative journalist Julian Rodemeyer, author of the new book, Killing for Profit. This is Risha kota with Behind the Schemes.